Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You can't recall courage. We just out for a run early this morning here on Friday, and uh, boy, the weather's great. Uh, it's kind of nice. We've been looking forward to that. We had a sneak peek a couple weekends ago, uh, but uh, sadly, it's been pretty pretty cool up until recently. So it's kind of nice to go out for a run without a sweatshirt on this morning. And it's a beautiful day, not just because of the weather, but the last couple of days have been beautiful here in this great state of Wisconsin. Uh, because of the Supreme Court. And a 4-3 decision, proud to say that two of those four justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Rebecca Bradley and Daniel Kelly, were people I appointed uh, during my tenure as governor. I appointed to the state Supreme Court. Uh, two others were on before that, and I'm proud to say I endorsed uh, in the past both uh, the Chief Justice, uh, Pat Rodensack, and uh, Justice Ziegler as well, and uh, just felt that they gave a a strong, strong opinion. Uh, bottom line is uh, Wisconsin's open for business, or at least major portions of it. Uh, under the ruling, uh, the state, <clears throat> the governor originally had declared an emergency and couldn't under law continue that. And so uh, his, uh, one of his cabinet members, uh, designated to be the Secretary of Department of Health Services, had issued an order. And the state Supreme Court, I think correctly, uh, ruled that the um, that ultimately the law said if you're going to issue an emergency order it requires uh, the consent of the legislature requires the involvement of the state legislature and so they said they had not been in compliance with that and therefore uh, the rule was not uh, in effect and so uh, we saw all across the state uh, particularly in restaurants and taverns and other places people start to open up and a lot of uh, celebration in other parts of the state, uh, like Milwaukee and Dane County and Racine, local officials sought to uh, impose at a, in within their jurisdiction the same rules that basically took those areas through a Memorial Day weekend and potentially even longer. Uh, but but more important than even just the ruling to me, it's simply this, and that is that the rule of law must be upheld at all times, even in emergencies. You don't get to pick and choose. Um, some people might think that that's just a small technicality, but the bottom line is uh, the law, the checks and balances of the republic that we live in, in, in Washington and the state house, uh, even at the local level, the checks and balances are there to make sure that no one person uh, can use, particularly use the excuse of times of serious crisis uh, as an excuse to uh, take power that isn't granted to them, responsibilities that aren't granted to them. Uh, through the U.S. and the state's constitution. And um, that, that's why I was proud, like I said, that two of the, the four were people that I directly appointed during my tenure as governor. It shows the importance, not just as governor, but in the uh, coming election uh, this fall for president. And we've seen it with President Trump's appointments, not just to the U.S. Supreme Court, but to uh, federal uh, judicial positions. Why it's so important, because at long last, whether you're uh, in for two terms or not, the bottom line is uh, those judicial appointments have uh, make a, a big impact, sometimes for decades or longer. Uh, and so I'm proud that they made the right decision here in the state of Wisconsin. Now, having said that, I, I, you've heard me say this for weeks. I believe that not the government wasn't going to reopen the economy. The market was. What I mean by that is no matter what date arbitrarily the government at any level says the economy can open, that people can go back to business. The bottom line is it's going to take employees and ultimately customers coming back to businesses before we truly reopen the American economy. 
thankfully, we've started to see that in places like Georgia, uh, Florida, Texas, other places that uh, prior to Wisconsin have started to reopen. And the good news is, at least preliminarily, is for all the hype and hysteria 14 days in, in a place like Georgia, uh, we didn't see a, a massive increase uh, in the number of coronavirus cases. Now, we still need to be vigilant. Uh, one of the things I've stressed is that uh, I, I thought in the past that many of our government officials at all levels had suspended common sense, that, that they didn't look at this, not, and, and I've never been in the camp. In fact, I, I went back and looked at a, uh, a Facebook post I made more than two months ago on uh, March 13th, where I wrote extensively about the fact that I thought coronavirus was real, that we needed to follow the guidelines, that we needed to do social distancing, that we needed uh, to wash our hands, to sanitize our services, uh, surfaces, that I thought it was wise for things like professional sports and concerts and other large venues to postpone or cancel their events. Because at the time, we were talking about bending the curve. Obviously, back then, the concern was that with exposure meant more people potentially would become infected. And if that rate increased too dramatically, remember the talk about flattening the curve, that the curve was headed towards a point where we'd have more people ill than we had hospital beds, and particularly more people seriously ill with respiratory issues than we had space in our intensive care units. Thankfully, uh, particularly uh, places outside of New York, and even in New York, but particularly in places outside of New York City, uh, that hasn't happened. And uh, so we have flattened the curve. Uh, I know many of us have been frustrated that it seems like they're moving the, the goalposts, that it went from flattening the curve to finding a cure. And there's some who act like we can never set foot out again unless there's an absolute vaccine uh, for COVID-19. The, the bottom line is we have flattened the curve. And as I've said in the two months plus since I wrote that uh, Facebook post, is we can need to continue to take this issue seriously, but, but look at what we've done. Look at all the grocery stores, all the convenience stores, all the hardware stores, all the pharmacies, all the manufacturing sites that were deemed essential because of supply chain issues. Look at every business that has been open during this past two month period here and across the country. And let's examine how they did it safely. I've told you this story before, but I, I have a friend who lives nearby who who has a factory in central Wisconsin. And early on, long before, uh, a week or so before the state officially shut down, uh, we talked because uh, ultimately he ended up being an essential business because of the supply chain component of, of what he does. And we talked about it. We, we talked about how to safely uh, keep his business operational. Um, they talked about things like shutting down the break room and the lunch room having people eat their lunch and take their breaks at their own machinery where they're away from others. They talked about staggering start and ending time. So not everyone showed up and exited the plan at the same time. Talked about a series of other things, bringing in um, cleaning crews to sanitize the entire place multiple times a day, all sorts of just logical common sense things. And why I say the market's going to drive this is he did this not just to be a good guy, but because ultimately he needed to keep operating. And if you're working, say there's a hundred people within a factory, if a couple of them get sick, chances are that's going to spread pretty rapidly. So it's not only uh, the ethical thing to do, it is a good business sense thing to do that, to make sure that businesses aren't exposing their employees and ultimately their customers 
uh, to exposure and, and, and potentially infection. So I've just said all along, it, it just, to me, it defied common sense that people thought that the only way we could defeat this once we got past the, the rapid increase we saw early on was to stay long term somehow locked away. Uh, and uh, that's why I and I've said all along as well, you, you can have both the emotion of fear and of frustration. You can be fearful of the unknown. We still don't know precisely. There's not enough evidence out there to tell us what happens of all the debate, you know, some have said, well, if you get it, you have the antibodies, you can't get it again, but, but there's still a long ways off from being 100% sure. Um, we, we still don't know uh, exactly uh, how people are, are picking it up. I think over time with the testing and contact tracing, in fact, in many ways, I, I think, you know, we talk all the time about the need to do this uh, to me for state and local governments. You've got hundreds, if not tens of thousands of employees all across this country, who many of whom are sitting idle collecting paychecks from the taxpayers in their homes um, because they're not in areas that are uh, vitally essential. They're not public safety, the public health. And, and I've said before, I, I thought a fair number of them should be uh, assigned or detailed to reassigned to uh, helping process unemployment compensation claims because in, in every state I'm aware of, there's a huge backlog because obviously we've, these are unprecedented numbers. They weren't prepared for that. Well, transfer those people, change that, reassign them, find ways to deal with it. The other part is it just makes sense. Why not have those folks be involved in contact tracing, figure out people, contact, communicate with every single person who tests positive, find out everyone that they've been in contact with over the last two weeks and, and try. And uh, to me, ultimately, that's the way to deal with this. We, we've seen it in other places around the world, if you can narrow it down in, in quarantine or keep it home or away from others, those uh, who are affected or who have been direct contact with them over a 14-day period, eventually uh, we can really narrow this down uh, even before we get to the point, and I'm still optimistic we'll get a vaccine out of this. The bottom line is we gotta be, uh, we've got to return common sense, uh, not only to government, but to the marketplace as well. Um, you know, one of the frustrations I saw was the, the night I get people wanting to get out, uh, but the night of the Supreme Court decision, you had people packed in the taverns. I, I just look at that and think, no, 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 no. For us to get through this all, we've still got to be logical. We've still got to follow safe guidelines. We can do this. We can do this safely. We can avoid a massive surge in the future. Uh, we can invoke common sense. And I would hope that leaders at all levels in both political parties and those that don't hold partisan office would continuously talk about why we're doing these things, why these things are important, and not just look at uh, finger pointing, which we've sadly seen a lot of in Washington, in our state houses, and in city halls all across America. I, I want to talk about something else, though, that ties into this, and it's about uh, what Nancy Pelosi introduced this week, and not just the fact that it's $3 trillion. Uh, that's mind-boggling to begin with. But there's a part, uh, well, there's a couple of key things, but there's one in particular uh, that I think should worry any American, regardless of party, in terms of where the future of the economy is headed in this great country. We'll talk about that. We come right back. Hey, Scott Walker, back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks so much again for being with us. Really appreciate it and hope you and your family and your loved ones are all doing well. As I mentioned before the break, 
you know, Nancy Pelosi this week, a few days ago, introduced her plan, the plan she and House Democrat leadership put together, and it's a $3 trillion plus uh, package. It's it's basically, a, I call it the Zeros Act. They, they took every or, or nearly every liberal wish list, uh, left-wing political wish list, and, and just add zeros to it. I mean, $3 trillion. Nancy Pelosi was first elected, took office, in 1987, the entire federal debt, <clears throat> the year she took office, was less than this one piece of legislation is. So this is mind boggling when you think about how big it is, particularly at a time when we just surpassed uh, a few weeks ago, $25 trillion in terms of the national debt. If you go to the national debt clock, you can see it going up. I remember even last year when we were worried we we're going to be above $23 trillion headed towards 30 by 2025, we're at 25, and uh, we're likely by the end of this fiscal year, or at least so says the Congressional Budget Office, uh, which is the uh, budget crunching office for all members of Congress, regardless of party, CBO projects that will exceed 100% uh, of the, uh, of the uh, GDP, the gross domestic product. Uh, in other words, 100% of the nation's uh, economy uh, will exceed that amount in terms of the total amount of debt the federal government has. So this is just out of control. We've got to stop the spending. I've talked about this before, how it makes no sense to bail out state and local governments, particularly when so many of them had financial crises long before coronavirus. Places like Illinois, which has spent decades ignoring tough decisions. Places like New York State, uh, where they're, uh, they had a $6 billion budget deficit just in Medicaid alone, and that's because, as I forewarned, uh, taking the uh, Medicaid expansion under Obamacare and the fact that uh, it was going to cost state taxpayers more. Thankfully, we didn't do that in Wisconsin, and thankfully, we put in place a number of reforms back nine years ago when we faced similar circumstances. Obviously, not coronavirus, but but off the uh, uh, the tail end of the recession, uh, when I was running for governor in 2010, unemployment was 9.3 percent. The state had lost in the four years before I took office over 133,000 jobs, and uh, we inherited about a $3.6 billion structural uh, gap in our budget. And, and it was largely driven by the combination of a, a continuing uh, recession, or at least the remnants of a recession. The economy wasn't good uh, with that very high unemployment rate and, and the loss of jobs. And... And uh, you know, people forget about this, but all the money that came under Obama and Biden with the so-called stimulus, major, major portions of that went into state bailing out state and local governments. The problem, as it often is, is that, uh, well, one, the problem is that adds to our debt. Uh, but, but the problem at the state and local level is that money didn't last forever. And so by the time I got into office in 2011, uh, a good chunk of that was gone and we had to backfill in the, the holes and so instead of doing what many other governments do and, and buying into the false choice between either raising taxes or, or massive cuts in vital services, we, we chose something different. We, we chose reform. We put in place real reforms and collective bargaining and elsewhere uh, that uh, in the years since have saved state and local taxpayers more than $12 billion. We need to do that. We need to force places like Illinois and New York and California and elsewhere to do that. And just to be clear, it isn't more often than not, it's Democrat led states and Democrat politicians. But but even in Alabama, there was a report out 
Um, actually, I love the headline of the, of the story was it's not the state house that needs to be replaced, but a report about how at least some state Senate Democrat or Republicans, some, not all, uh, but were calling for out of the money they've already got uh, that was designated for Alabama from the federal, the CARES Act, uh, the money related to COVID-19. They wanted to take, get those $200 million of that and use it to rebuild the state capitol. Utterly ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's to me yet another example of why we shouldn't be spending a penny uh, of federal taxpayers' dollars trying to bail out state or local governments. Uh, but there's more. I mean, you look at the list of all the other things they want to spend money on, uh, dollar after dollar. Again, a big wish list uh, of, of the left wing of, of the Democrat Party. And then they had things that aren't even just about spending money. They want to change requirements that relate to the census and redistricting. Uh, you know, it's the line that. Holder and others are part of, of you know, never let a, uh, it goes all the way back to Rahm Emanuel saying under, when he was chief of staff under Barack Obama, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, that's exactly what Pelosi's bill does, is they try to make changes that will uh, not only change redistricting, but um, accelerate vote by mail, uh, put in place other changes, even things like Wisconsin. I was proud, amongst other things. Uh, we had a long list of positive reforms in our state. One of them is very simple. We require a photo ID for people to vote. Um, we wanted to make it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. And so, we, in fact, we had to go in and out of court, ultimately prevailed there. Pelosi's bill would apply to Wisconsin and every other state that has a requirement for some form of photo identification, the ability for people to self-identify from at home, <laughs> to self-certify. Um, I said, you know, apply that to banking. There'll be a lot of people who want to self-certify that uh, they're Bill Gates and they want to make a hefty withdrawal from his bank account. Um, but, but you look at these things, you look at things like immigration, uh, they want to make permanent uh, guest workers and, and uh, open the door for uh, illegal immigrants to, to be here permanently. Um, besides just the, the, the legal ethical question of that, uh, the practical reality is at a time when we're reaching, and hopefully it won't sustain this, but but we're at least reaching near depression level uh, numbers when it comes to unemployment. Why in the world will we want more more people in the country competing with our fellow Americans for jobs and or benefits if they don't have a job? It's just remarkable all the things that are in this Pelosi bill. Um, but one of them to me is particularly troubling. Again, these are all very troubling issues, but one's troubling about, and I think in many ways very revealing about what this is all about. And that is, I, you've heard me talk about this before in our podcast, but there, uh, there's what's called the federal unemployment in, or the enhanced federal unemployment benefit. That means uh, if somebody's unemployed, they get their state unemployment, which most states is roughly about half of what they would make each week, plus $600 every week for every individual from the federal government. I've said this before, but if you make $10 an hour, you were making, before all this, if you were working, you were making $400 a week in a place like Wisconsin and most other states, you'd make uh, about half of what you made. So you'd make a little over $200 here in Wisconsin. But then under this enhanced federal unemployment benefit, you'd make $600 more. Collectively, you'd make $800 a week. And I said, that's a real problem. Because ultimately, um, if you have a chance to go back to work and make $400 a week or stay unemployed um, and make $800 a week, 
And it's not hard to figure out the math and think that a lot of those people aren't going to be inclined to want to go back to work. I've suggested a simple solution. Uh, you know, this whole program goes through July 31st as it's written in the law. Why not just make people whole? You go back to work. You know, that example I gave of the person, the guy or gal who makes $10 an hour, make your $400 a week and we'll cover the rest. The federal government will pay the $400 or maybe even a little bit more. Maybe we cover $500. You actually technically make more than you would have made under this current program if you were unemployed. The idea is we need an incentive for people to get back in the workforce. And oddly enough, it actually saves people money. Stick with me on this. It sounds unusual. You're going to pay people money to save people money. But if they stay unemployed, they're going to make $600 a month plus uh, taxpayers are going to have to pay at each state level the, the money. So in Wisconsin's case, about $200 a week uh, for their state unemployment. Um, instead, all you'd be paying is the 400 to keep them whole in that example, or even 500 if you give them a little bit more. That's still a lot less than what they'd be getting from the taxpayers right now. Here's the catch, though. Not only is that a problem, but Pelosi wants to make it worse. In Pelosi's bill, she goes from the program ending on July 31st of this year to extending it to January 1st of 2021. Again, giving people the benefit of the doubt, I... I, I I assume at least some might have good intentions, but I, I think the larger question I and many others have, including probably many of you listening, is do Democrats really believe or somehow want the economy not to reopen until January of 2021? I think for a lot of us, we would look at this and suggest this is more about politics and the fact that they don't want people going back to work. They don't want the economy fully open and operational until well after the next presidential election knowing that if things are back to work, if we start down the path of where we were just a few months ago before coronavirus hit, the president was well on his way to reelection because people could see that no matter what they might think about a comment or a tweet here or there, that in the end, we were looking at one of the most robust economies in the history of this great country. And I think we can get back there. It's not going to happen at once. The example I often use is when I was a kid, if we were playing football or baseball and somehow the lights went off in the stadium or the field, uh, it would take a while. They were lights that took a while to warm up to get back on. And so it wasn't just the flip of the switch. And that's what I think with the economy, that as we get past this, as we're able to deal with the, the health impact and then ultimately get the economy up and going again, it wouldn't happen all at once. It would be staggered for sure. But by this fall, I'm still confident that if we all work hard together, uh, we can get America back to work, but we've got to remove the obstacles and we've got to remove things like the federal government actually providing a financial incentive for people not to work. And we certainly, certainly shouldn't pass the Pelosi bill uh, that would make it extend even further into the future. Basically, of all the things that were in the, the zeros bill, as I call it, uh, adding zeros to all those things on their wish list, about the only thing that makes sense is that they put a mirror, and I say that, in quotations, a mere $75 billion in for additional coronavirus testing and contact tracing to try and follow up and figure out where people are, where the connection has been with this disease. My sense is that's about the only thing that makes sense uh, for the Senate and the House, Republicans and Democrats alike to pass. 
And even there, we can augment that by, as I said before, taking state and local employees who are being paid sitting at home idle and give them the job of helping out with some of this contact tracing. All these things, I think, ultimately boil down to this. And I've said this the last couple of days when I've been on Fox and Newsmax and others out there. It's really the difference between do elected officials believe in the government or do they believe in the people? I think for those who believe in the government, we've increasingly seen that, that they believe the government can make better decisions than individuals here and across the country. Um, the problem with that is, of course, the government's not perfect. And, and uh, just on a practical basis, they're apt to make poor decisions, as we've seen time and time again. On the other hand, people like myself believe we should overwhelmingly defer to the people. Yeah, give them some guidance, uh, give them some good parameters. But in the end, I think, I think common sense shows us that given, given fair warning, given good information, the public, the marketplace uh, when it comes to the economy, but the public overall, the individual is more apt to make the right decision, uh, not just with coronavirus, but, but with all the other things we deal with. And, and this is just a defining issue. And I hope that once we get past this, one of the things I'm eager to do, particularly as I look ahead to 2021 and taking on a new role of leadership at Young America's Foundation, is to more aggressively make the point, particularly to Generation Z, which I'm happy to say is much more open to conservative thought than the generation before them, the millennials, but to make the point to our, our young people that there is a difference out there between putting your faith in the government and putting your faith in the people. There's a difference between dependence and independence. Dependence means relying on the government for the solutions in your life. Independence meaning that you, your family, your friends, those that you work and associate with can make those decisions. I think that's not just the difference between conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats. Ultimately believe it's a very American concept, as I've said often before, but it bears repeating in America, you know, we take a day off to celebrate the 4th of July and not April 15th, because in America, we celebrate our independence from the government, not our dependence on it. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's podcast. And uh, if you got a time, recommend it to a friend, family member, others who might enjoy listening to this in the future. We'll continue. And occasionally, I'm going to add some folks. I, I think you'll be surprised in a few weeks. Uh, I'm going to have a couple interesting guests along the way, but uh, we'll mix it up. Sometimes it'll be interviews. Sometimes it'll be just me uh, giving you my thoughts like we did today. Either way, I hope you're healthy and well. Keep fighting for freedom.